Well, this morning I bring to you good news of great joy. Um, we, our second daughter, Anna, was born last Sunday morning. Um, and so we um, were super grateful for that, and we've just had a great week um, just being with her and hanging with the family. And so thank you so much for uh, so many of you who have been praying for us and just your encouragement to us. Um, Courtney is doing great, and um, Esther has loved being a big sister so far. Um, and um, I think we've got, yeah, it's uh, cute. Um, she loves her a lot. We're actually uh, afraid she maybe loves her too much and that maybe um, baby Anna's life is in danger. Um, but uh, it's been a great week. And so um, I'm actually on paternity leave uh, last week and this coming week. Um, and our elders have just been awesome and encouraged me to take time to focus on family uh, right now. And it just so happened that we had planned these things out kind of far in advance, and the sermons for the next two weeks had already been written. And so I've been able to just kind of focus on family, and then I'm here today to preach. And we're able to do that because we have such an awesome staff um, as well. But I just want to say thank you um, for being a church that cares about your pastors um, as people before positions, and I just, um, I appreciate that. So, um, yeah, thank you. Um, But today, we're actually not here to celebrate the good news of baby Anna's birth. Um, We have even better news to celebrate today. Today, we're starting a series called The Good News of Christmas. And the reason for that is the first Christmas, the night that Jesus was born, um, he was born in this city, this little town called Bethlehem. You can still visit it today. And outside of that town, there was this field and there were some shepherds in the field. And an angel appeared to the shepherds and they were terrified because that's what you do when an angel shows up. And so they're terrified. And then here's what the angel said to them. Luke chapter two, verse 10. Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Notice that when the angel shows up to these shepherds and announces something, What he announces is good news. Christmas is good news. It's not good vibes. It's not a good sentiment. It's not good advice. It's good news. In other words, something happened. An event took place. A birth took place that is good news for everyone. Why is that true? Why is this event good news? Um, One of the things that we've been doing in our time at home uh, is watching Hallmark Christmas movies. And I actually kind of like them. 
um, because it's always the same, and I, I need something in my life that's just constant, you know? And so I like the predictability of these movies. But in one of the movies uh, this past week, um, you know how they're always like throwing a Christmas party and it's not gonna come together, but then it finally does come together. And the main character gives a speech at the party. And in the speech, she says, Christmas isn't just a day or a season. It's a state of mind. And that may be true that it's a state of mind somehow, but it's not less than an event. Christmas is that something happened. It's news. Why is it good? Why is a birth that happened 2,000 years ago good news for you today? How is that even possible? Beyond the fact that just, oh, okay, we get excited when people are born. Like, what about that birth in particular is good news for you today? That's what this series is about. So, each of the next three weeks, we're going to see one reason that Christmas is good news. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Now, it may seem odd that in a series on Christmas, we're not looking at a traditional Christmas passage. And here's the reason for that. Um, when I was a kid, a lot of times at Christmas, my grandfather would give me a savings bond. And I remember thinking as an eight-year-old, like a lightsaber would have been cooler, you know? Um, <laughs> But the thing about the gift of a savings bond is that over time, I appreciate it more, and over time, it appreciates. And so the worth of the gift that was received at Christmas, you only really begin to see evidence of its worth over time. And it's kind of like that with Christmas. When this child was born in Bethlehem, it was good news then. But as time goes on, you begin to see more of why it was such good news. The greatness of the news begins to grow in time. And that's because the child who was born grew up. And there are a few places in the Gospels where this child who was born at Christmas tells us something about the significance of him coming to earth. And this passage that we're going to look at today is one of those passages. Jesus grew up. He got a job with his dad as a construction worker. And then when he got older, he started to pursue his true purpose for being on earth. And so he started this ministry, and he began to preach, he began to heal, he began to gather a following. And just before this passage that we're looking at today, he claimed to be able to forgive sins, equating himself with God. And then, in verse 27... After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi 
sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. Now this is a surprising invitation. Jesus claimed to be from God. And so far in the gospel of Luke, Luke is going to great lengths to help us see that Jesus has come from God. He's just equated himself with God and his next move is to go to someone that the whole world would look at and go, yeah, that person wants nothing to do with God. Jesus claims to be from God and yet he's pursuing someone who wants nothing to do with God. He's pursuing someone that the world would look at and say, that person is far from God. He's pursuing a tax collector. And the reason that tax collectors were far from God is because they were people who decided to exploit their neighbors. They stole from them. They cared more about their own financial gain than doing what was right by you. And so everybody hated them for it. And not only were they hated for just not being good people to be around and being corrupt, but they were also hated because they had turned their back on their Hebrew heritage. They wanted nothing to do with the Jewish faith and the Jewish family that they had inherited. And so everybody hated these people. These were people who were far from God. And Jesus, the guy who's from God, the guy who claims to be equal with God, goes and invites this kind of person to be one of his followers. That's surprising. What's maybe even more surprising than that, though, is that Levi said yes. Look at verse 28. So, leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. This invitation that Jesus is offering to follow is like a teacher offering to a student, hey, come learn from me about life. Come learn how life should be lived. Jesus claims to be from God. Why in the world would Levi, this tax collector, this guy who's been written off by God's people, and this person who has chosen to walk away from God's people, why would he want to be with someone like Jesus? They've got basically nothing in common but he says yes. What does that teach us about the kind of person that Jesus was? People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. And so he says yes, and he begins to follow. And sometime after he begins to follow, we don't know how long, but at some point, Levi decides to introduce his friends to Jesus. And what kind of people is Levi friends with? Other tax collectors and sinners. Other people who are non-religious. Other people who have turned their back on God and his people. Other people who have been written off by God's people. So here's what he does. Verse 29. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him, that's Jesus, at his house. 
Now, there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were guests with them. And so now, picture this scene. Jesus claims to be from God, claims to be equal with God. And he's spending time at this big party known for being sinful, corrupt, irreligious, ungodly. Isn't that an odd scene? The Pharisees thought so. Here's what they do. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees were a group of Jews who were founded around the idea that God's word is true. That the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, that it's true. Miracles really can happen. And God really has promised to send a savior, the Messiah. And God means it when he says we should obey him. And so these, the Pharisees are a, a group of Jewish people who take God seriously. These are people who, who care about doing what's right. And so when they look and see Jesus, this person who claims to be from God and who claims to be one with God, interacting with ungodly people, they complain. What are you doing? If you're from God, don't you know what kind of people they are? If you're from God, what are you doing there? And we have a tendency to judge the Pharisees. But the Pharisees are just doing what anyone would do. If anything, if we've learned anything over the past couple years, it's that when somebody's sick, you're supposed to stay away from them, right? So these tax collectors and all their friends are sick. So stay away. And we don't just do that physically, right? People who are emotionally sick, ugh, I, just, I don't want to wade into all of that and just, ugh. People who are financially sick. Ugh. People who are professionally sick. Can't get a job. Ugh. People who are spiritually sick. Ugh. We don't want to be around sick people. The Pharisees are just doing what anyone would person who's acting surprisingly is Jesus. Why is he with these sick people? Look at what he says. Verse 31. Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, 
but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Why is Jesus with sick people? Because Jesus wants to heal sick people. Jesus understands himself as someone who can help. Jesus says, these sinners, it's like sin is a sickness. And they need a doctor who's outside of them to be able to come and diagnose them and heal them. Now, here's what's interesting to me about that statement of Jesus is that he says it, notice this, at the party, in front of all of the tax collectors and other sinners. So in front of them, he says, well, the reason I'm hanging out with them is because they're so sick and I'm like a doctor. And so that's why I'm here. Isn't that incredibly offensive? This is an incredibly offensive thing to say unless you're willing to admit that you're sick. This is an incredibly offensive thing to say unless you're willing to admit that you're sick. See, the good news that Jesus has come for sick people You don't care about that if you're healthy. Jesus came for sick people. Okay, well, I'm good. So what do I need that for? This is only good news if you know that you're sick. Jesus says sinners, they're like sick people. They've got a disease. They need help from the outside to diagnose it and to heal it. And he says, I am that person. The good news of Christmas is this, that Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for sick people. That's good news. That's the good news of Christmas. And here's why that's such good news. This means that the prerequisite to following Jesus The prerequisite to having a relationship with God is not being good enough, but being sick enough. The prerequisite to following Jesus is not being good enough, but sick enough. If you're not sick, you can't come. But if you're sick, there's a Savior. That's why Jesus came. Some of you, that's the news that you need to hear today. Maybe you've come in here and all week you've been feeling like you do not measure up. You're aware of how how much you fall short. Because of the way that your marriage is going, you're aware of your sickness. 
because of something that, some, maybe you've got somebody in your life who continually reminds you that you fall short. And you're wearing that today. And you are tempted to think just like me and just like everyone, that with enough time, you can work on it, and in the new year, you're gonna work on it, and at that point, you will be acceptable to God. Once you can clean yourself up a little bit, once you, if I just can focus, and man, if we can get through this season, then I'll be able to really focus, and I'll, I'll be able to, if we could just, and then I'll be acceptable. Then I'll be able to start measuring up. And here's the good news for you. God is not on the edge of his seat in heaven, peering down at you, wondering whether or not he's going to extend his love to you. He's not on the edge of his seat wondering if in 2022 you're gonna clean yourself up enough so that you could be worth his love. God has already demonstrated that he loves you and that he welcomes sick people. And do you know how he's demonstrated that? Because one night in Bethlehem, there was some good news that was announced. It wasn't just good vibes or a good sentiment. It wasn't just, well, you know, nobody's perfect and don't beat yourself up. It wasn't just, well, everybody feels stressed sometimes, but once a year, take some time to think about the good. One night in Bethlehem, an angel showed up to announce good news. A savior has been born for you. You do not have to crucify yourself for falling short because the Savior who was born grew up and was crucified for you. And he was raised from the dead in power and glory. He ascended to be with his Father and he promises to return someday to make all things right, to judge the living and the dead you can put your trust in him. Following Jesus is not about being good enough. It's about being sick enough. God sent his son Jesus to save sinners. That's the good news of Christmas. God does not quarantine himself in heaven. And think about the links that he went to demonstrate that. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He had known for all eternity the expansive glory of heaven. And he came to live in a womb. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen is 
preaching this sermon, and you should go read it sometime, Acts chapter seven, but he says this little line in there, it's kind of interesting. He says, but the most high, talking about God, the most high does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me? He's, Stephen is emphasizing the fact that God is so great that even the, the temple in the Old Testament didn't really contain him. I mean, yeah, God's presence was there, but, but it, was, it couldn't contain him because God's so much bigger than that. He's the most high. And that is true. And God's son chose to make his house a womb. Now that hits differently for me this week. Because I just witnessed a birth and I got to take a picture of a placenta. And I was going to show you a picture, but Courtney said, that is a terrible idea. And so we're not going to do that. But, um, but as I was looking at that placenta, I thought, that's what Jesus came to room with. Jesus became dependent on that? Why? Because the healthy don't need a doctor. But the sick. And he has come to call sinners to repentance. In this little passage... Jesus, I think, is showing us that this message, this good news that Jesus has come, it should change the way that we view all of life. In this passage in particular, he shows us at least two things it should change. First, it should change how we see ourselves. He's teaching us how to see ourselves in this passage. And there are a couple options for how you could see yourself. You could see yourself like a Pharisee. A Pharisee says, I'm good. I don't need any help. I'm good. I don't need any help. Jesus came for sick people. Ah, okay. I'm good though. I'm not sick. I don't need help. Or you can view yourself like a follower of Jesus. A follower says, I'm sick. I need help. The invitation of Christmas is to be honest about who you really are. You don't have to hide and pretend when you're here. You don't have to, to think that in order for you to ever be acceptable to God that you've got to clean yourself up. The invitation is for sick people. And if you know you're sick, you're qualified. So we want to be a church that's honest about our sins. 
as a leader, I screw up. I do the wrong things. I say things that I shouldn't say. I do that as a leader, as a pastor, as a teacher. I mean, literally, every part of my job here, I'm sick. That's not just true at work for me. That's true at home. It's even true in the car when I'm by myself. And I'm not even talking about traffic. I'm sick. Do you know that about yourself? Now, this is not an invitation to hate yourself more. This is an invitation to be honest about yourself. The message of Christianity is not human beings are just despicable things that God tolerates. The message of Christianity is that humans are incredible things that God made and that are sick because of sin. But God, in his love, has come to them. Spurgeon, in one of his little sermons, uh, talks about how you could understand that God would pity someone because, okay, they're small and they're messed up. And, but the fact that God loves people, that is reason for joy. If you are willing to admit that you're sick, that is what qualifies you to follow Jesus and receive his love. Jesus also demonstrates for us in this passage that when, when that begins to sink in, when you begin to understand yourself as a follower, somebody who says, I'm sick and I need help that only Jesus can give me, that will also change how you see others. Christianity, the message of the gospel, this good news, it never just stays between me and God. It always has to affect the way that I understand other people too. And in this passage, Jesus has shown us there's a couple ways to see others. You can see others like a Pharisee does. A Pharisee says, you're sick, you need help. You're sick, you, ugh. But a follower of Jesus says, you're sick. How can I help? How can I help? We roll up our sleeves and we go towards the mess because that's what God did for us. This Christmas, remember the good news. Jesus came for sinners. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for sending your son. God, we did not deserve it. But you, in your loving kindness, sent him. God, I pray that 
your spirit would be active now. If there are people who don't know Jesus, would you introduce them now? God, would you help us to be a church that can live in the light, that is willing to confess our sins because you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And the reason you do that is on the basis of Jesus and his atoning sacrifice on the cross. God, would we be a church whose eyes are fixed on that? Would we be a church whose hearts are moved by that? Would that result in lives of humility in how we understand ourselves and lives of humility in how we love others? It's in Jesus' name that I ask, amen. Would you stand and sing with us?